Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good? 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 Awesome. Uh, I'm Josh. I'm the Missional Campus Pastor. So good to be with you guys today. And we are kicking off a new series that is concluding our grand series through the Sermon on the Mount. So we're kicking off a new series, but we are winding down this journey through the Sermon on the Mount that, that Jesus has been teaching us and going through. And today we're going to look at three verses, three simple verses. And we're going to start off with verse 12, and then we'll go looking at verse 13 and 14 together. But Verse 12 has another name. Does anybody know what the other name for Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 is? The golden rule. I think I heard that mumbled under a few masks. Yeah. Yeah, the golden rule. I learned the golden rule for the first time in Royal Rangers. Now, um, Royal Rangers is our um, denomination's kind of boys program from like elementary school and on up until they get to like the middle school, high school range when they go to, to youth group, but um, that you learn all these things and you have a motto, they have values that you learn. There's all these little things that you learn. And one of the specific things they have you learn is the golden rule. It's one of the main things you've got to like memorize and learn to recite. It's, it's, it's something you do as part of this program. Well, as you, as I do sometimes, I look at the scripture and then I look at the golden rule and I go, they left off the second sentence. The verse 12 is two sentences. But when we talk about the golden rule, we only get the first one. We only, we only get to hear the first sentence, which is do to others, whatever you would like them to do to you. And then we completely leave out this second sentence that says, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. That's a pretty big like commentary statement on a one sentence thing that we say all the time. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? But then Jesus goes on and says, this summarizes everything that you've been taught from Genesis to Micah in this one sentence. Do unto others like you would have them do unto you. It's crazy. Like this rule is such a big, big thing. And if you remember uh, a few weeks back, several weeks back, we were in Matthew chapter five, when Jesus starts his sermon in chapter five and he carries it all the way through chapter six or through seven. Sorry, we're in chapter seven. It's through seven, but he carries it on. But in chapter five, if you remember, he was talking about how he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so this is kind of his summarizing statement at the end of his teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Now there's more teaching to come. Don't worry about that. There's, there will be more that he says through this, but it's kind of his summarizing thing at the end. After we look at all these things, whether it's anger, whether it's divorce, whether it's, it's, it's looking out for the poor, whether it's whatever it is, whether it's prayer, whether it's the Beatitudes, all of that commentary is summed up in this golden rule. 
Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Treat people how you want to be treated. Because this sums up everything that God's been trying to communicate to you from the beginning. And this is a really good moment. This is a really good thing where it's kind of, it's a barometer question for our life. When we're in any circumstance, any moment, we can go, would I like that done to me? And if the answer is no, we probably shouldn't do it. It's this question that we can ask constantly. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cue you in on uh, one of my failings, okay? This is a, w- a way to, I- to illustrate this to you. When I was 18, I was a server at a restaurant. And the restaurant is no longer with us. It closed. But it, it used to be where Jose Peppers is now. And maybe that's why I don't like Jose Peppers, because I'm mad that my job shut down. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Or it's just because I'm an Elmez loyal guy. I think that's it. I think that's it. But uh, I was working there, and we did something that no restaurant should ever do. We hand out peanuts at the beginning when you walk in. And, you know, peanuts are fine. I have nothing against peanuts. They're fine. But what we told people was, after you, like, crack it open, you eat the peanut, just toss the shell on the ground. Not in another bucket. It's like we were trying to unteach the entire city what their parents taught them as children. Don't throw your food on the ground. But yet we did it. And so it was the, the bane of our existence as servers to have to sweep up the peanut shells at the end of the night. It was the worst part. You had to sweep up the peanut shells and you had to get them all up and, and done before your section was closed and you could go home. Well, one night, as, as I, my section was closing, I, I had been cut. I was, I was in the cleanup process to head home, and one of my coworkers had people sit in my section. They, uh, I think they were rogue customers. They were like, they walked in, and they were given a table, and they redirected and they came into my section that had just been closed, and the rule was whoever used the table last has to clean it. So they had to do their section of tables and my section. And I gloated. I was so happy. I was so ha- I only had to clean two tables. Yes, me. I'm awesome. Two tables. Thank you for seating them there. I was so happy. But had I remembered what Royal Rangers had taught me, I'd be looking and going, wow, at the end of my night, after working a hard long shift, that they had to work longer than me, that they not only had to clean their section, but part of my section. And instead of celebrating, oh, look what I got, I should have been going, oh, wait, how can I help them? Because the Christian doesn't get the luxury of being selfish. The Christian doesn't get the luxury of looking out only for themselves, about only for their best interest. A follower of Jesus is not allowed to be selfish. If I was acting like Christ that evening, I would have said, don't worry about it. When you're done, I'll sweep it up. That's what should have happened. It's not what happened. It's what should have happened. 
And that's what this golden rule ultimately is, is coming down to. It's saying, how can I look out for the needs of somebody else around me? How can I look out for the people that God has placed in my life? How can I see their need and say, if I had that need, how would I want other people to act towards me? And you know what the crazy, beautiful thing about this is? Imagine with me that we as the church acted out this scripture in our daily lives. Imagine it with me. So I'm going to illustrate this point. Imagine I see Robert's needs. For those of you online, Robert's to my right. So if you see me look to the right, that's where Robert is. Okay. Imagine with me that I am concerned with Robert's needs and I'm concerned with meeting those needs to helping out in any situation that comes his way. And then Robert, as a fellow follower of Jesus, is concerned about my needs and is making sure that he is helping me out every step of the way. Now imagine if we all did that. Guess who would have needs? No one. No one. Because we would be actively meeting the needs of the people around us. Could you imagine a world that isn't selfish, but is is giving of themselves to meet the needs of the people around them? Could you imagine if if we embodied the kingdom of God here on earth? Could you imagine if we lived out this proclamation from Jesus? And we actually said, your needs come before my wants. Your needs come before what I want to happen, before my selfish desires. Could you imagine a world that lived that out? Because ours doesn't. We don't live by the golden rule. We live by the gold rule. Give me the gold. That's what this world lives by doesn't live by the golden rule. How can you this week, this very week, see a need in somebody else's life and go, how would I want my neighbor to respond? How would I want my friend to respond? And then go out and meet that need. Now, as we shift from verse 12 to verse 13 and 14, we make a clear distinction. There's this clear distinction in Jesus' teaching. When we go to 13 and 14, he suddenly is like, hey, I want you to make a decision on all this stuff I taught you from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7, verse 12. I want you to make a choice. I want you to choose a path. Okay? Okay? I want you to make this decision. And here's, here's the important thing. He's not asking you to believe him only. It doesn't matter if you believe him and you don't do it. He's asking you to live out this teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. He's not asking you just simply to hear it and go, that sounds great. There's plenty of people that say that sounds great to stuff. We should help them. That's nice for you. But Jesus is asking us to make a decision. 
Will we live out his teachings or not? As James will tell us later in the scriptures, faith without deeds is dead. So your belief without living them out is meaningless. It's meaningless. So when you're reading the scriptures, when you're going along in, in your Bible and you're, and you're going through your devotions and you see God command you to do something, it's not a theoretic idea. It's not a hypothetical. It's not a rhetorical statement. It's I must act. I must live out what Jesus is actually commanding. And here is what verse 13 and 14 say. You can, eat, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. There's only one way. There's only one choice if we want life. And as we look at this metaphor that Jesus has put in front of us, uh, we're looking at and we're seeing a gate, then a road. A gate, then a road. And if you would imagine with me, I had this image in the back of my brain as I was going over these scriptures. Imagine with me this narrow passage. That you kind of have to squeeze and shimmy through to arrive at. And then it's bumpy and it's, it's not traveled. It's, there's some water you got to go through. You got to wade through it. You got a hard path. And imagine it winding around a hill and going in circles and circles until you arrive at your destination. And then imagine with me the wide gate, the inviting gate. The one that says, enter here, please. And as you enter, the road's got space. I got my space. I can social distance freely. I can walk. But walking down the road leads to a cliff. And if we continue down that cliff, or down that road, we'll eventually fall off the cliff which, as I can tell you, is not healthy for anyone. The road's inviting. It's wide. It's easy to access. There's got plenty of on-ramps. But Jesus aptly tells us this. It is the highway to hell. He doesn't mince his words, right? Like, like that's, a, that's a very specific example. In the NIV, it says, uh, leads to destruction. They're implying here not temporary hardship. It's implying eternal destruction. The easy way leads to death. So why do we have such a hard time with the hard road? 
with the road that's difficult and challenging? Why do we struggle with it? This idea of the narrow gate and the, the, the difficult road it's just reinforcing that Jesus is the only way. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, and Jesus answers somebody and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is calling it out. I'm the narrow gate. I'm the option that leads to life. And I guarantee you there's going to be challenges along that road. I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be challenging, but it is the good road. That eternal life only comes one way. It only comes through him. I was listening to an author kind of talk about his writing process, and um, he was working on a story about dreams. And this author, interestingly enough, had mentioned that he was having nightmares while he was reading this or writing this book. And he would wake up and he would be absurdly happy because a nightmare was just another idea for his writing. What was challenging in a normal circumstance was growing in his. He saw them as a blessing. And then he said, eventually the nightmares went away. He joked that he was like, they, they weren't having their desired effect, so they went away. But are we able to actually look at difficulty and go, hey, I'm, I'm experiencing difficulty. That must mean I'm going the right way. How many times have we hit a roadblock? We've hit a speed bump. We hit, we hit a pothole in the road along our travels in life. And we go, God must not be having me go this way. Oh, yep. I, I experienced a challenge. That's not God. I got to go find something else because comfortable must equal righteousness. But that is absolutely not the case. We have to start seeing difficulty as signposts that are saying, you are on the right track. It's what Jesus promises to us in this scripture, that the difficult road is going to be there. We're going to experience it. We're going to have hardships in this life, but we actually have to understand that those might be a tool that Jesus is using along the sanctification process. That this difficult road might actually be drawing us closer and closer to Jesus. That it's leading somewhere. That it's got an intended destination of the kingdom of heaven. Anybody been skiing? Skiing? We got, we got one? Per, two? Okay, we got two people that went skiing. Okay. Uh, it's the sport where you put sticks on your feet and you slide down a mountain, okay? So, so I learned how to ski when I was a teenager. We took a trip in, in high school and we were, we were going with teen Bible quiz. 
Okay, that was a program that we used to have where basically we, we learned um, a book of the Bible and they had questions on it and it was, it was that sort of thing. Uh, so we had to memorize it and stuff. Trey, you remember. Yes, uh, Trey was on that trip. He was an experienced skier, so he did not have to do what I had to do and that was ski school in the morning. Him and Hannah and a few others got to go straight up the hill. I got to go to basically the kids' lessons for... Um, for, for learning how to ski. Uh, and it was a half day. You learned how to turn left, turn right. You learned how to break multiple ways. Uh, and one of those ways wasn't crashing, by the way. Okay. If that was the case, I learned how to break three ways. So, uh, but you learn how to break, you learn how to do this stuff. And then they started to take you with an instructor up the uh, easy hill, the, the little bunny hill, Right. They took you up there and you, and you learned and you, and you went down and you were nervous a little bit. And then you had lunch and then you were let loose to do whatever you wanted. So the first couple times I went down the hill, I was cautious. I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't have an instructor giving me pointers. I'm going to go slow. We'll see what happens. By the end of the day, I literally was just pointing my skis directly down the hill and flying as fast as I could. It was so much fun. I loved it. But by the end of the day, it was pedestrian. It was easy. Now imagine with me an Olympic skier on that same hill. They would be bored out of their mind. Could you imagine if they had slapped that it was a double black diamond on that little bunny hill and these skiers are so excited. They're like, yes, a double black diamond. I'm going to, I'm going to have a challenge. I'm going to have some fun going down this hill and they get to the top of it and it's a glorified like Quentin Heights. Okay. And they get there and they're like, this is boring. This is pedestrian. This is not challenging me in any way. That's what the easy road is. It may look like comfort. It may look like ease, but it is not challenging you. It is not forcing you to grow. The hard road with its bumps, with its difficulties, is challenging you to actually become better, to actually be righteous, to live out this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is teaching us. It's asking us to actually move forward in our faith. And if we don't have some of the difficulties, we're probably not going to move forward. We've got to remove the desire for comfort from our spiritual life. There was nothing comfortable about Jesus's ministry. It ends in him dying on a cross Spoiler, he comes back to life, so there is a positive, there is a silver lining there. If you look at the early church, Stephen, he has this beautiful ministry, but it's brief. And he's put to death. He says the hard things, the true things. He lives out the hard road knowing where it leads. And you see apostle after apostle after apostle walk down this same road and arrive at the same ending. 
But that ending is the fullness of the kingdom of God. It's not the death they experienced here on earth. It's not the hardships and the beatings. It's not those. It's being with Jesus forever. It's the reward at the end of the line. That road is leading somewhere. The difficult road is actually taking us somewhere. And here's one of the main takeaways I want you to remember. Don't be upset when the road you've chosen lives up to the calling you've received. Don't be upset when the road you've chosen lives up to the calling you've received. God isn't calling us to step back and shrink away and hide. He's calling us to step forward and move forward and actually live out these scriptures so that men here on earth, human beings here on earth can actually experience his love and his grace. The hard road is the beautiful road. It's challenging and yet it's so vibrant. We have to walk down it. We may be stumbling down it. But as one of my favorite musicians has a line in his song, he says, he's fumbling towards the light. Fumbling towards the light. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be trip-ups. You're going to mess up. You're going you're to lose your way. Your feet are going to catch on a few rocks here and there. But where are you headed? But where are you headed? How can we become more and more like Jesus to the world around us? These two verses are ultimately saying, are you willing to commit to the teachings all before them that are summed up in do unto others what you would have them do to you. This sums up all that is taught in the law and the prophets. As Luke's gospel says, teaches about the neighbor. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this beautiful story, but the ultimate answer is everyone. It's everyone. Can we live out these teachings that Jesus has placed before us? Because it's worth it. It's going to take us down this hard, difficult road that's beautiful and wonderful and leads to life everlasting. Let's pray this morning. God, I pray, would you... Help us along this road. Help us along this path that leads to life. And maybe this morning you're sitting there going, I've not uh, chosen a path. I've not made a decision to follow Jesus. 
Well, this morning you have the opportunity to do that. To say, God, I'm choosing the narrow gate. Even if I got to squeeze through it. And I'm choosing the hard road that leads to life. It's simple. It's, it, it sounds like a prayer, something like this. It says, God, I know I've messed up. I know I've not lived up to your standard. But I want to follow you with all my life. Forgive me of my sins, the ways I've gone wrong. Help me to follow you for all the days of my life. If you pray something like that, you're simply doing what the scriptures say where it says to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved.